Introduction. The sound of rustling leaves when you've cleared your mind, closed your eyes, and sat back is surprisingly calming. Try it at night when the people have gone silent. Sit back in a chair outside in the wind and listen. Then read on. Don't let the worries of things to do or things that are done invade your peace. All you need to worry about is here. Maybe you aren't outside in the quiet at night with trees rustling in the wind. Maybe you're huddled in a cozy bed or leaning in a chair, your neck bent over in a way that will haunt you later. Don't worry about that. All I need to worry about is being typed up right here. So much I could say. This story is very close to my heart. But I will restrain myself and proudly present to you Tales on the Sea Raven. Setting sail. Know what I see in my mind's eye. I see two raven's wings folding back from the prow, cutting through shadowy waves. A carved black cheetah with a lengthy fishtail roars in defiance of the wind. It is a ship emerging from the inky ocean underneath a dark, starry sky. The ship is made of black moon oak. It is smooth as stone to the touch, but light as a feather. Its sails are silver, and its deck is black as the sides. It is called the Sea Raven. It is said that this ship follows the nighttime, and hasn't been seen in the light of day for thirteen years, ever since it was created. The ship has a captain and crew of unknown origins. The captain wears a blue coat lined with the blonde fur of a lion's mane. They say that same lion is chained in the bowels of the ship, Tame for now, but eager to avenge himself. The captain is a tall woman with powerful dark golden eyes, skin whiter than the moon, and an affinity for storytelling. A girl sits on a makeshift stool strapped to the deck, leaning against the railing, refusing to talk to anyone. She seems deep in thought, and her serious expression is somehow wrong. She is made to smile. Every night... She goes below deck and disappears. The crew haven't figured out where she sleeps. When the sea is calm and the sailors can rest, the captain sits around a lantern with her crew and tells a story. She tells about her years sailing, and though the stories seem fantastical, the crew wonder if they may be true. She speaks of the past with longing and sorrow, and peers at the moon with disguised anger. There is much that she does not tell them, but the crew know not to press. Some secrets are meant to be kept silent. Frozen in Black Glass The first of four paintings on my wall depicts a place like storm-flung waves frozen in black glass. The painting is beautiful, but it cannot capture such a strange land. Fog and colorful mist, red, yellow, and blue, swirl in the sky, but around my feet smoke breathes. Here, your worst fears and best hopes mingle and become manifest. This is where my journey began. I stayed there for only a few short hours, but when I left, I brought her with me. You lot call her the Deck Girl, and I suppose that name will have to stick. 
I went there a lifetime ago, it seems. Well, I knew when I found her that something was wrong. In that place, anything could have happened, and I was worried that she had been hurt by whatever she saw. But no, it was something much worse than that. I cannot say what, at least not now. Get back to work, crew. We still have a long ways to go tonight. The captain's crew have speculated much about her story and the deck girl. The girl does not respond when they speak to her, but every night she and the captain talk alone in the captain's cabin. Some of the crew have heard the captain weeping. They do not know where the deck girl sleeps, or if she even eats. She may be a ghost, for all they understand. Two Ravens there is an island with two blue pools. In the middle of each pool, there is a small pointed cone of rock, and on each cone, there is a beautiful raven. The raven of the pool on the left has bright blue eyes and is croaking a song as haunting as the murmurs of a graveyard wind. In the pool on the right, there is a raven with sunset golden eyes who watches the first bird with intent. Both ravens are surrounded in a capturing ring of light shining from the white moon. They lived like this for more years than they care to count, but no one discovered the trapped ravens. No one found out about their crime against the moon. These ravens used to be the heralds of night, but in their absence the black phoenix rose, the new favorite of the moon. But one night, just after sunset, when the moon was still drowsy, an adventurer aboard a black ship found them. The blue-eyed raven's song told her of their plight, and the gold-eyed raven begged with its stare to be set free. Using Lunamort, I cut the moonbeam prisons, releasing the captives. I watched the two ravens dance in the sky and listened to the blue-eyed raven's crow of thanks. All was right. But the phoenix, the black phoenix who had risen in their absence and kept watch for her master, found the ravens. With a great screech, she drew the sky's gemstone eye to the traitors, and the ravens were cast into the ocean. From the shore I watched them fall, and saw them thrash in the water, trying to reach one another. But the terrible sea kept the two ravens apart, and when at last the gold-eyed raven surfaced, not even its golden gaze could find a trace of its companion. The blue-eyed raven had drowned in the black ocean for a crime it never believed in. The two ravens were forever apart, and to this day you can find the silent, golden-eyed raven haunting that tumultuous patch of sea, its eyes telling all. Three Pairs of Shoes In the chest I keep underneath my lion's fur, there are three pairs of shoes. These are strange shoes, whose purpose has been long forgotten by most. All three shoes have wooden toes and are covered by shimmery satin. These shoes have laces and a pair of long ribbons. The first pair of shoes are pink, and some of the shine has been lost. They are cared for, but dusty, and the satin on the wood has worn away from use, revealing stained cloth underneath. The ribbon is tightly wrapped around the shoe and has not been unwrapped for years. These shoes are old and forgotten. The second pair of shoes are white. They have been lovingly tucked away and are clean, unsoftened by time. The tip of the shoe is streaked with gray, 
but the satin has not begun to fray quite yet. These shoes are in use, but still new, and have clean ribbons. The final pair of shoes are also white. They are immaculate, without a speck of dust or a single sign of use. There are no ribbons on these shoes, and the satin flickers, as if they aren't quite real. These shoes do not properly exist yet. They are an idea, a representation of a future and a hope that I once looked to. They are mine. I will tell you about the owners of the first two pairs some other time, when the moon and its stories do not weigh so heavily on my shoulders. Tonight, I must rest with my thoughts. The Blue Island Let me tell you fellows why we chased the moon. That abominably mysterious creature has stolen the soul and heart of someone precious to me, and I have sworn never to see the light of day until I have retrieved it. On my journey to reclaim that heart, I have had many adventures. Did you know, in the middle of the black ocean, there is a little blue island, almost entirely devoid of animals and trees. It is covered in blue grass. On the island hides a white cheetah with glowing fur, two glistening white wings sprouting from its shoulders. This cheetah used to have a mind, but ever since its master disappeared over the black ocean, the cheetah has stayed on the blue island, awaiting her return. When I went there, I was tracking the cheetah. I desired a few of its feathers as a glorious prize. So off I went, alone, into the wilderness of blue grass with the sea raven docked at the edge of the island. Presently, I found the white cheetah drinking from a stream flowing out of a small waterfall. The beast's wings were folded gracefully against its sides as it delicately lapped the water. I snuck up to it, knife in hand, and plucked a fistful of feathers before running for my life. In retrospect, that was one of the less intelligent times of my life. The cheetah flew after me, wings outstretched. It was a beautiful sight, but in the moment I was too scared out of my wits to notice. I can only just remember the harrowing chase that followed. I am sure the cheetah was toying with me, letting me pull ahead and then catching up and nipping at my heels. I soon found myself back at the stream and jumped in, hoping to get away from my pursuer. The cheetah, who was really just a large cat, angrily stomped around on the riverbank, then sat down to wash itself, ignoring my little head poking up above the water. Now, you want to know how I got out of this predicament? Simple. I tossed wet feathers and knife onto the shore and slowly emerged, hands wide to demonstrate my peaceful intentions. The cheetah dipped its head and let me pass unscathed. After getting back to the sea raven, I immediately sailed as fast as I could away from the blue island, leaving behind a very expensive knife, a handful of priceless feathers, and my dignity. The Girl with the Painted Hair There was once a wood nymph girl with beautiful black hair. Her hair was lovely and thick, but so utterly black. The girl was frightened by her black hair. She said that it was a tangle of serpents chasing her, or a cold storm creeping up behind. So one day the wood nymph took a vat of shiny golden paint and dipped her hair in it, painting her hair a gorgeous yellow. Now, when this wood nymph grew older, she began to be chased by mortal men who thought her beautiful, 
and she would run like the wind to escape them, her giggles echoing down through the woods. Flecks of paint from her golden hair would be carried behind and splashed in the eyes of her suitors, who often gave up the chase soon after. It was said that if a mortal man could catch a wood nymph, she would become his wife. So, one smart young man hatched a plan to capture the elusive beauty who had so easily evaded his fellows. This man carried a knife with him as he went to find the wood nymph. He saw her sleeping in the branches of an apple tree, heavy apples as yellow as her hair weighing down the boughs. The man climbed the tree as quietly as he could, and when he was close, he slid out his knife, grabbed a fistful of painted hair, and sawed it off with a few rough slices. The wood nymph woke when her hair was cut, and with a start shoved the man away and leapt down the tree, sending golden apples tumbling as she ran for her freedom. The man followed on her heels as the wood nymph ran, the latter expecting paint to fly into the man's eyes and blind him. But no, her yellow-painted locks were in his clenched hand, and the man simply chased her until she tired. Stumbling in her exhaustion and no longer giggling, the wood nymph tripped over a small brook, her hands catching herself on sharp stones. The man who had so ruthlessly bested her stood before her. The nymph girl feared the worst. Seeing her distress, the man calmed down, sheathing his knife and offering a hand to help her up. Taking it, the wood nymph stood, shaken. She told him she would give his due reward, but she would not be a happy wife. The man laughed. He said he had only wanted to prove to his friends that he could best her, but he would never force such a worthy opponent to be tied down. They shook hands and parted ways, friends. The clever man was praised by his comrades and settled down to a simple life. The nymph grew her hair back, but didn't paint it yellow. She preferred to be constantly pursued by snakes and storms than be reminded of that immensely embarrassing day. Music